morning in the scripture, we're going to start in Luke 14. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Did he really mean that? Surely he didn't literally really mean that. I mean, we just, we just sang, Lord, I'm wholly surrendered and I'm all yours. And, but really, truly, he, there's no way he could practically, in everyday real life, there's no way he could actually have meant that. Is there? In Mark 10, we get this story. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus doesn't dispute this man's claim that, Lord, I've obeyed all the commands just right since I was a kid. Jesus knows that's true. This is a really good guy. And Jesus loves him. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his works. Because in all of the idol temple worship of that day, the more money you gave at the temple, the richer you were, the more money you gave, and that gave you favor with the gods. And they're just absolutely blown away. Even in the Pharisee system of the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem, the rich people got the attention. They're the ones whose names were on the plaques, you know, this room donated by so-and-so, and that still happens today. And they're astonished. But Jesus answered again. He doubles down and says, children... How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that sentence should scare every one of us. And they were greatly astonished, saying amongst themselves, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And then Peter said to him, see, we've left all and followed you. And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus says in Luke, we can't be his disciple without giving up everything. And then in Mark, this guy specifically comes to him, and that's Jesus' statement. Sell everything, take up your cross, and come follow me. He goes away sad. He's not, willing to, he's not willing to give up his money. And so Jesus turns that into a lesson to his disciples that it is very difficult for wealthy people to give up what they have and follow Jesus. But that's not what Jesus says. It's difficult for you to give up what you have. He says it's difficult for you to be saved. Because the two are the same. Giving up what we have is what saves us. And no one in this room is exempt from this command. We can't read this and say, yes, those darn rich people. They, them, but I'm poor. 
The word poor should not be used in America. Do you know that if we took the bottom 20% of Americans and moved them off to an island somewhere, poorest 70 million people in America, move them off to an island and make them their own country, it would be the 13th wealthiest nation in the world, richer than Canada. Here's the graph. America as a whole, clear on the left, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Italy, Norway, Belgium, Finland, Iceland, Ireland, France, Netherlands, and then if you separated the bottom 20% of Americans, we would rank above Canada, Greece, UK, Sweden, Australia, the average income including all sources of stuff that we have and get and is given to us and taken care of. And another graph shows the bottom 20% of Americans versus the poorest countries in the world. Over here, clear on the right, Tanzania and Uganda and Afghanistan and Haiti. It's a big difference. So, I, I really, only I wanted you to see those to prove the point that no one in this room can hear what Jesus just said about the rich and say, well, I'm glad that's not me. We are the rich. And Jesus said, we have to give it all up to be saved. So the Lord may tell you to take a vow of poverty and go be a nun. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. But maybe. I, I don't doubt the faith of the people who've done that. I honor them. I truly do. I honor them. The nuns and the monks that have taken the vow of poverty and, and obeyed this verse in every literal dollar sign number way. But if Jesus meant that to be the only way to express this verse, then they're the only people in heaven. The rest of us are deluding ourselves because we own a car and a house. But did Jesus mean it? Are we fooling ourselves? In Acts 4, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. So here they are, literally, physically, practical, everyday life, obeying Jesus. Give it all up. And Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there are numerous people who have properties. They sell them and then give them, bring the money to the apostles for the distribution of daily needs to the poorest of the poor around Jerusalem. And Barnabas is the only one named in this group, but it says that there are numerous people. And then in the next story, in the next chapter, we get this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who see what everyone else is doing, and they do the same thing, but with a different agenda. A certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a, a property, and he kept back part of the proceeds, and his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While you owned it, was it not yours? 
And after it was sold, was it not your own to control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And I don't have it on the screen, but the scripture goes on. If you don't know the story, Ananias drops dead right there, right at that statement. And his wife was not there. She comes in later. And Peter, instead of telling her that her husband has died, tests her. He asks the question, is this all of the money from the sale of your property? And she said, oh, yes. Boom, drops dead. Right in front of the whole church. So we got the, the New Testament Acts church doing exactly what Jesus said. Give up everything. And they're, they're selling their houses and property, donating the money to the church, uh, to the apostles for the distribution to the poor. And, and then Ananias and Sapphira pull this stunt. But look at what Peter says to Ananias. He says, while you owned it, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Peter was there when Jesus said, you have to give up everything if you want to follow me. And Peter was there when he told the young man, you sell everything and give the poor. And then he tells Ananias, well, when you had it, it was yours. And after you sold it, you can do whatever you want with the money. Which is it? Does Jesus require us to give everything or do we get to choose whatever I want to do with my own money and stuff? Y'all are geniuses. Yes. Yes is the answer to those two questions. And the answer is there is a word that we've been using for two months that solves the whole paradox. Does Jesus require it all or is it all my free will and I get to decide what I give and what I don't? What's the word? Everybody. Surrender. Lord, I surrender all my stuff. It's all yours. But it doesn't mean you can't own anything. It doesn't mean that you have to take a vow of poverty because obviously the apostles, as they led the church, were not requiring people to sell their houses. But there were people that wanted to and did. And so they got the blessing of that. There's others that didn't. And then we got this couple that wanted to look like they were super generous, but lied. It wasn't wrong that they kept back part of the money for themselves. What was wrong was that they lied to God and the whole church about how much they were giving. Jesus tells us, you, you need to give everything if you want to follow me. But then Peter, obviously, tells Ananias, it was yours to do with what you wanted. And for 2,000 years, the church has argued and debated and squirmed about money. <laughs> and kings imposed taxes and the church imposed taxes and preachers make a law out of tithing. And is it required or is it voluntary? Well, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or being forced to. The word compulsion means to compel. For 
thousands of years, both the government and the official church compelled people to give. There are still churches today that will come knock on your door if you don't write your tithe check for the month. That's evil. It's not to be reluctant on your part, nor is it to be compelled by the church or the government or, or anyone else. In a different translation, verses 7 and 8 say this, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Well, did Jesus say I have to give it all or do I get to decide? <coughs> yes. Surrender. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. There you go. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So Ananias and Sapphira gave out of greed. They gave out of greed because they were responding to the social pressure of, well, everybody else is selling their field and we'll look greedy if we don't. But there was greed in their heart because they, they kept some of the money. Keeping the money wasn't greedy, but to lie and say, oh yeah, we got 300,000 for this thing, but, but really they got four. That was where they blew it. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. When the young, when the young man that was rich turns around sad and leaves Jesus, Jesus says, sell everything you have and come follow me. He leaves. Peter says, well, Jesus, we left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, there's nobody here who has a lot left house or fields or mother or father or siblings who will not receive a hundred times in this life, in this life. Jesus does not intend for us to be required to take a vow of poverty. He just wants surrender. And it really is true that the more you give, the more he will give to you. He, he does, you don't just empty yourself out and then he leaves you empty. He will fill you back up. He generously provides all we need. Same verses in another translation. Remember this, the person who plants a little will have a small harvest and the person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give and you should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. Some of you already know it, but that word happy there in the Greek is the word hilarious. We're supposed to be that happy to give our stuff away. God loves a person who's having a hilarious time giving it all away. And God can give you more blessings than you need. There it is. There it is. God will give you more blessings than you need. But he always has to act in response to us. We have to do it first. The, the, the lesson in the verse is farming. No farmer looks at an empty dirt farm and says, oh, yep, whatever God will, God will provide. No, he has to put the seed in the ground. And then God will provide. And God gives him more back than he planted. And Paul is comparing that to our finances. God can give you more blessings than you need, and then you will always have plenty of everything, enough to give to every good work. Same verses in another translation. This is the Passion Translation. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. 
Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Every moment and in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Amen. So Jesus said, give up everything. This verse says not to give because we have to. So I believe that what Jesus wants is surrender of everything. And then he gets to say what we can keep and what we give away. Peter says, while you own it, it's yours. You can do what you want. And Paul says, don't ever give because you're forced to feel pressure to. Give because you're having a good time. And you want to. So what Jesus wants is for us to want to give it all away. Not to make a law out of it. And not to ease our conscience, well, I gave in the last three offerings, I don't need to today. Or, I tithe every month, so that's all I need to give. We make a law out of it and then pacify our conscience. Because I've obeyed the law. What happened to the rule follower? He went away sad. He wasn't hilarious. So I'm here today to invite you to surrender your stuff, all of it, to actually mean what you said when we sang that we were wholly surrendered. And what I mean by that is that you tell Jesus, I don't own anything, you're actually my master, and you've given me some things to take care of, a business to manage, or property to own, or uh possessions to hold on to but you own it all and the moment you say give it up I will so if you're driving along one day and he says I want you to sell this car and send the money to the missionaries in the Middle East that you would do it because it's not your car it's not that you can't have one but it's not yours so when he says I, I need the value of this car sent to this missionary, that you would do it. Or you're sitting in church and the, and, and the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, see that woman across the aisle from you? I want you to give her your car. That you would do it. You know that coworker, that family member, that guy in your church, he really would love X gift. Go buy him one. Well, God, I don't have the money for that. You're right. You don't have any money. It's all mine. Give it to him. See that clearly disturbed and destitute woman tweaking out in front of the gas station? I want you to go open your wallet and drain it. Give it all to her, everything you got in your pockets. Clean the change out of your car. Give it all to her. Yes, Lord. And you, you can do that instantly when, when you're already surrendered. I know only a fraction of the generosity that goes on in this church but it is so fun to be the delivery boy. It's a very regular thing that I get handed an envelope, take this to so-and-so. Don't tell them where it's from. I've gotten to be part of people giving cars away. I know of at least four, and I would, if I was a betting man, I'd bet it's triple the number, but I know of four couples that have given vehicles away. One couple's done it six times. 
and they're not, by a long shot, not the richest people in the church. Well, there was a 19-year-old girl just a few years ago who had her entire life savings was $3,000, saved up for school tuition, and a friend needed to, uh, had a car blow up or whatever and needed something, and, and the Lord told her, I want you to give that money to your friend, and so she gave the money to her friend to buy a car, and she had no money for the tuition that was coming up the next semester, and in the meantime, God paid it all off, her tuition. It was all there. There's great joy. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. I know of two couples, not in this church, but I know of two couples who have given their house away. Just packed up, move out, it's yours. It's paid off. I know of three instances in this church of people giving major portions of some big inheritances. And I'm not talking about giving to the church, like tithing, I'm talking about just giving it away to people in the church. We love these people. We want to bless them. Here's a $5,000 check delivered in this anonymous envelope to so-and-so. Just out of love and joy. And there have been instances that have made me want to cry of the poorest people in the church giving away a $20 bill or a $100 bill. And I don't know what anybody makes, but I have a pretty good idea that this couple is a one-income minimum wage household and they give 20 bucks to somebody else and I know how much, how big of a deal that is and it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. So I was outside in a lawn chair in the dark last night looking at the stars and praying and worshiping the Lord and And I got hit with these two statements to pass on to you this morning. And they're for me, and I'm passing them on to you. The Lord said to me, no amount of giving eases your conscience. Meaning, I'm not allowed to say, well, I gave the last three times. I don't need to give on this one. I should always ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And no dollar amount of giving. Well, I tithe this month, so that's all I need to give away. The Lord said, no amount of giving eases your conscience. You're not off the hook, Mitch. And I'm to pass that on to you. And the second statement was, need is not what is to move you, but my spirit. And that works both directions, because there is so much need, it's overwhelming, and I can't give to everybody, so it freezes me up, and I don't want to give to anybody, and I'm like last week, it's just, I'm suspicious, and... Or you won't know what the need is, or maybe there isn't any need. The Lord just wants to bless that other person. Maybe they make more money than you. Maybe they could buy the thing he's telling you to give away easier than you could replace it, but he says, give it away. So need is not what moves us, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the Lord doesn't mean don't be moved by need, but that, doesn't, that isn't what makes the decision. Because sometimes the need is just way too much, and I, I think, well, that, that need is so big, what does my $20 make a difference? Or there's so many people asking for so much money, I can't help everybody. The Lord's like, ignore all that. Tune into my spirit and give where I tell you to give. Don't look at the need. The other piece of that, the other side of that coin is there might not be any need. You may be giving to somebody who makes five times what you do, but if the Lord says, give it to them, give it to them. 
If he says bless them, bless them. Uh, that's the word of the Lord I got last night. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. Speaking of Jesus, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in a home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. So nard is a tree resin, a sap that is used in perfume. It's still used today. It was then and is now extremely valuable stuff because it's very rare and hard to harvest. And this woman that we know is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but a woman came with a jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar. It didn't have a lid because if it had a lid, the scent would bleed off. It would weaken. So they, they put it in a wet clay, and then the clay hardened. And if you opened it, it had to be all opened. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her harshly. So here we have Mary who has a, a bottle of perfume. Let's just, let's just say a number. It's worth $60,000 in our money. That's more than some of you make. It's a lot less than some of you make. Let's just say it's a weir's wages. So let's just say 60000 and she breaks the jar open and dumps it on Jesus' head. She has known Jesus since before that other rich young man came. And Jesus told him, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And yet she still has this $60,000 asset. What does that tell you? Jesus never told her to give it away. Right? Jesus never required it of her. Because he, he could look at this rich young man and know that his God was his money. That was what he depended on. That's where his faith was. And so Jesus had to break that. But he looked at Mary and he's like, she's not depending on the value of this bottle of perfume for her livelihood. It doesn't, it doesn't keep her from me. I don't need to require it from her. Yes? So we can see that Jesus did not command every single person to give up every single thing they've got. Because Mary didn't. He never told her that. He told that other guy. Because that was his God. So when he tells you to give, don't ever look at somebody else that's got the same thing. Why, God, you didn't tell them to give it up, so I guess I'm off the hook. He's telling you to give up what you have today because he knows this is the next thing you need in your walk with me. And don't ever look at what anybody else has got or what they've had to give away or what they haven't. Do not compare. Just obey the Spirit. There you go. Just do not compare. Just obey the Spirit. You're not trying to outdo anybody and you're not trying to excuse yourself because somebody else didn't have to. Just obey. So my first observation here is that Jesus had never required that of her. And he did not require better of her now either. She gave it out of love. She didn't need to be told, you need to give up this perfume. She comes, and if you know the story, she's bawling so hard, her tears literally wash his feet. 
And she takes her hair and she's wiping the perfume and the tears off of his feet and off of his head. And, and she makes a scene of emotion and drama in front of these men. And she's a former prostitute and the men are judging her for being unclean. And how would Jesus let her touch him? And, and then they're judging her for wasting the value. And it is just extravagant adoration and heartbroken gratitude and a deep sacrifice of love that is the highest reason we would want to give to the Lord is just out of brokenhearted gratitude for what he's done for us. She's surrendering not just the value of that perfume, but most of the historians and Bible scholars believe that that's probably her inheritance from her father. It's probably her dowry. We know she's single. She's an unmarried woman. And probably their father was deceased and he'd left this property and this is her dowry. Secure the marriage and all that. And so she's, she's surrendering not just the value, but her inheritance from her father and the security of her future. This is probably everything she's got. And she just dumps it on Jesus. So did she give up everything? Yes. Did Jesus require it? No. What is that? Surrender. Did she make a law out of it and follow the rules like the rich guy? Nope. It's just extravagant love. This is... Uh, the way Jesus did it with his father. It was God's will that he go to the cross, but Jesus made it very plain. No one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own free will. And he said, I could call 10,000 angels right now and the father would send them and rip me off of this cross. Even though it's God's will that it happened, if I say I don't want it of my own free will, if I choose not to, he will rescue me from it. That's surrender. In the last week and a half, the Lord has um, given me the opportunity to give away two very dear gifts. One of them took me three weeks of like, Lord, is that really you? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> Unless that's you, that would be a really foolish decision. <laughs> and uh, I told the Lord he needed to prove it by some other witnesses and and he didn't do it the way I asked. He just doubled down in my heart. And on the way home from our Sunday picnic two Sundays ago, the fear of the Lord struck, and I knew that I knew that I had to do it. This is the Lord. Yes, I have to do this. And, and I had to have a couple days of good cries to um, give that thing up. But I arrived at surrender and true joy. Um, the other gift he had me give was, it was easier. And both of them were fun. And it's, it's just stuff. It's just money. But the people you get to bless are not just stuff and money. It's, it's friends and it's family and it's love and it's relationship and it's Jesus. And, um, and he said, when you give, I will give more than you need. So I want to finish in 1 Timothy 6, 
First, Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they're really books of the Bible written to preachers. So this is God's instruction to me, and he says, command those who are rich. So God tells me to command you because everyone here is rich. Yes? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Do not put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There it is. Again, I don't expect you to go be a monk and own a wooden fork. And that's all, besides your sackcloth robe. No, I give you everything for your enjoyment, but you give me everything too. Command them to do good. So here I am. Do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of eternal life. Amen. Zero pressure. No rules. No laws. Just hilarious love. Hilarious love for Jesus and each other. No comparisons, no excuses, no fear, no rules, just hilarious love. Give it all away.